to Novel Pairings, a podcast dedicated to making the classics readable, relevant, and fun. As two nerdy bookworms, we appreciate the role of classic lit, but we won't get too academic about it. We'll talk about the books we love and the books we loathe and help stock your TBR pile with old and new reads for every literary taste. Today, we're discussing The Wild Book by Juan Villaro. Hi, Chelsea. Hey, Sarah. This is our final book in our children's series. I know. I have had so much fun with this series and this theme this season. And I'm ready to move on to the Odyssey, but I have just so enjoyed being in Kidlit land and all of the conversations that we've had together and with our Patreon community. And so this was a, a lovely book to wrap things up. I think that it's got some nice connections to the other books we've read. So I'm eager to talk about it with you. Yeah, I, I thought so too. When I was reading the wild book, I was thinking, I think I'm ready to be done with mm-hmm. Kidlit. But it's a pretty interesting book to end with because it's not classic. It is a much more recent book. But in some ways, it feels classic and it definitely, like you said, connects with so much of what what we read. And, and I think that it will be a fun bookend to the rest of our, our episodes. So a quick summary of the Wild Book before we dive into this conversation. Uh, we read the 2017 English translation of Juan Villaro's book, The Wild Book, which sold over a million copies in its original Spanish. This book is beloved. The story follows a character named Juan, so it's a little bit metafiction, <laughs> which I always love. His parents have separated, and his mother sends him to spend the summer with his eccentric uncle. All Juan knows about his uncle Tito is that he left his wife of one year when she made him choose between her and his library, and now he lives alone in a literal labyrinth of books. While staying with Tito, Juan discovers that he has a unique power when it comes to books, and so his uncle recruits him to help find and tame what he dubs the wild book. Together with the adorable girl next door, Juan must harness his power, find the wild book, and save his uncle's beloved collection. So, Chelsea, I know the answer to what is your past (laughs) experience with this book. (laughs) I was looking for books in translation for us to do with Inkart, and this one came up, and that's The Past History. I had never heard of it, um, but the cover was so appealing, and the premise sounded great, and apparently Juan Viaro is just one of Mexico's most prolific, famous, beloved authors, and so... Um, He's written a lot of different things. Um, he's not exclusively a children's lit author. And so that's it. Otherwise, this was my first time reading it. Yeah. And and I think, too, we we loved that it seemed to connect to Inkart, which is our other book in translation, being a book about books. Um, and it's it's fun to read a book about books that is from a culture that's not my own because mm-hmm. in both in both cases it felt different than some of the 
American or even British books about books that I feel like I've known about and read. Um, so that was really, really enjoyable. I do feel like I don't have all that much to say about this book. I'm really excited to talk about it in connection with our other books. But I think the main reason I feel like I don't have all that much to say is it's so current that I just think a lot of people would enjoy picking it up and reading it to their kids, reading it on their own. And I I definitely don't want to spoil this one for folks who haven't gotten to it yet. To me, it felt like a little bit of a mishmash of Inkheart and the mixed-up files of Mrs. Basil E. Frankweiler in that it was like Inkheart thematically. There was a lot of commentary and meta-commentary on authors and books and readers, and all of that was really fun to pick up on. There was also, um, in Inkart, there's an aunt who's obsessed with books and who is like too obsessed with books and learns how to relate to other people and not just her books. And then in here, it's the uncle. Those two Those characters together. <laughs> very parallel. Um, and I thought that was like an interesting, I was like, is it really that big of a problem when people are obsessed with books that there are like these characters who are way too involved in books and they don't pick their noses up to reality? Like, is that really a concern? But I guess it's a little parallel to like people in their screens, right? Like you mm. have to just think about it a little bit differently. Any obsession with anything um, and neglecting your human relationships is going to be bad. But anyway, I digress. <laughs> so that's like the Inkheart connection. But it wasn't action-packed like Inkheart. It felt very meandering and it wasn't like episodic and exciting. It was very like everyday life at this uncle's house and reflective on childhood. And then there's like a little bit of a book adventure thrown in there. It wasn't it wasn't like thrilling, um, which wasn't a bad thing. It was still really pleasant to read, but it kind of felt like it's got that kind of tone of Mrs. Basilie Frankweller, where it's like not that much happens, but it's enjoyable and the writing is nice. Yeah, I completely agree. And I think that one of the reasons for that or something that kind of enhances that effect of the story is the narrative style. So you know immediately that the story is being told by Juan. It's in first person, but he's grown up and he's looking back and he's telling you this story that he's never told anyone. And it really feels like somebody telling you a story from their childhood in that it is meandering and episodic. Um, it doesn't have like the the force of an omniscient narrator, like driving the story and telling you all of the super interesting details along the way or trying to build tension. It just really feels like somebody telling you a story and there happens to be magic and there happens to be a little bit of adventures and weird weirdness. Um, but tonally, it just seems like your, your grandpa telling you about something that happened when he was a kid. Yeah. And within that, the uncle is often kind of digressing over various <laughs> topics on yeah. books. He's not necessarily telling stories, but he's just like imparting life lessons all the time. Um, and so I don't know. I I liked um, the characters well enough, but it there wasn't anyone who was like, I was really drawn to. Um, it just, 
it's just a nice, solid story. Um, I don't even know if it'll be that memorable for me compared to Inkheart. I think it might have been if I had read it as a kid. Um, but yeah, I I think it has some really interesting things to say about books and reading. I was really kind of caught off guard by a lot of that commentary, um, but it was pleasant. I think it would be a great read aloud. It'd be a great read aloud. There are little moments of humor throughout. Um, one of my favorites is that one comments that he says, every time she, my mother, called me Juanito, something terrible happened. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like They're just like some great little asides. I did at times kind of wonder about the translation, and I would be really curious to hear if we have any listeners who've read it in the original Spanish um, and then took a look at the English because having zero authority to say this, it kind of felt like a very literal translation where some of the phrases or some of the syntax landed a little clunky to an English reader. Um, and it it made me wonder if maybe there was some like um, – connotation that I was missing because of the translation or something along the lines. And maybe, maybe not because sometimes those like almost clunky word choices to, to me and my reading experience added to some of the humor. So I just really was uncertain about, about that, Um, which is one of the kind of fun puzzles and intrigues of reading in translation. That's so true. It did. So I listened to it on audio. Did you listen to this one? No, I I read it on my Kindle. I'm curious about how our experiences differ in that way too. Um, I didn't love the narrator who was reading. Okay. But they did a fine, I mean, they did a fine job. Um, But I was thinking, I was like, this feels a little choppy in some spots, but mm-hmm. it's h- too hard to tell if it's the audiobook narration or on paper. I also just think it's so, it was such an interesting read because it f- very much felt like of a time. Mm-hmm. But then again, I don't know if that was partly just because of cultural differences from myself and the way I grew up. Um, or if it is intended to maybe be set in the time when the author was growing up, like um, he's taking iron yeah. <laughs> supplements and um, the fact that the parents are separating is such a big deal. Um, I feel like so many contemporary books, you know, written even in the early 2000s deal with divorce in a very different way. Um, and so it was it was a really interesting mix and a fun experience to kind of like parse out all of those pieces while reading. That's a really interesting point because now that you say that, I completely agree. And there aren't really any indicators about the time period. Like you said, there are some of those little tidbits that are like, make you think, hmm, when is this happening? Um, but there's no, there are no dates throughout and no like references to historical events happening. So it's kind of hard to place in some sense. It's timeless. On the other hand, to me, this did feel more like the contemporary middle grade that I've read, which isn't that that much, but it did just feel, feel more, um, 
it's not plot driven. It's not actiony, but just kind of like this happens, then this happens, then this happens, and just kind of like takes you through um, in a, I guess, straightforward way might be the best way to say it. And felt like a read aloud. It felt like very much in conversation with the classics that we've read for this podcast. But straightforward is just the best way to say it, like approachable for for kids today almost. Yeah, I think so. The way that I think of that kind of middle grade book that you're describing is the plot is just the coming of age arc. That's Mm -hmm. the plot. Mm -hmm. Anything else that happens or is included or any other magic or elements or animals that are involved are just in service to that coming of age arc and to create a different environment for that particular kid's coming of age. But the plot is just them coming of age. And that is really what happens in the wild book. I think the commentary on books and reading all, you know, plays a fun part of that and definitely comes from an author who enjoys that kind of meta literary thinking, but it's a coming of age story. Whereas Mm -hmm. with Inkheart, like it was a little bit of a coming of age story, but it very much felt like, well, this plot is, uh, action. Like there was, there was a specific plot associated with that story that I didn't so much see here. That's, that's really well said. And in Inkheart, the the rules of the magic, the world building is a little bit more deliberately done. And here, it's not as important to why these things are are happening, what Juan's like exact powers are. He's like yeah, a super it's reader. Loose. It's yeah. loose. Um, but I, I think that's that's exactly because of what you said, because it really is about his coming of age and the context built around that is special and um and kind of a perk an extra but we're really here for his his journey. I think so, that magical realism also just like speaks to and resembles other magical realism texts from Latinx authors. Yes. That, that we've read on the podcast and that I've read personally it just felt very like I recognize this style. I recognize this magical realism and how it's connected to culture. Yeah, it reminded me a lot of like Water for Chocolate. Um, yeah. In its episodic nature, in the meandering, in the like, you know, as a uh, as a white American reader, I'm trying to like put a pin in like, where is the plot? What is the rising mm-hmm. action? And what actually is he doing yes. with this book? Yeah. <laughs> Which like and, it never really comes to light. No. And it's all just very <laughs> evasive. And um, I I mean, I think that that's one of the, um, this another amazing benefit of reading in translation. And I, I'm glad to have found this book. And it just, this plus Inkheart have made me think about the importance of adding books in translation to Louise's library as she gets older. Um, because being like within a different storytelling style is a really valuable and interesting experience as a reader. Like I think we often talk about reading across difference in terms of learning about culture, learning about um, a different way of being in the world, building empathy. All of those things are so wonderful, but sometimes the storytelling itself just feels different or is different. And I think that's just as good a reason to read widely. 
I love that. So with that in mind, Sarah, what is this book saying about books and reading and what were some of the things that you picked up on that maybe are related to that cultural conversation or that felt like things that were kind of ringing um, from other books that we've read? Well, I think one of the things that I really loved about the way the Wild book talks about books is the relationship between the book and the reader as being so important. Like, and does the does the book mention authors at all? Like, I, I, um, some classic authors like Homer, Robinson Crusoe, like right. mentions classic books, mm-hmm. but not necessarily talking about like the role of the author. Exactly. I thought that was so interesting. It was like there's the book and the reader. And like the author wasn't really part of that kind of magical equation, which is so different and interesting to me. Um, but I really loved all of the like um a book finds you at the right time kind of stuff, but written about in a very original way. Like I, I loved this passage um, where he says, Tito tells Juan, books are very slippery. You look for one on the shelf and you find it on another, or you don't find it for years and suddenly it appears right in front of your nose, which literally happens in this book. But also I think just very figuratively happens in many readers lives. Like you think you know what you want to read and then something else strikes your fancy. Um, I loved that. And the idea that readers can change the books, which again is like very loose and evasive, but that felt powerful to me as well. And the books influence the readers. So like there's this like evil book that Juan and is it Catalina mm-hmm. um, read and she gets sick mm-hmm. and they figure out it's from the book. And so the books have like this real influence on the characters' lives and shaping what's happen- happening in reality and vice versa. And so much of the commentary on books and reading comes from Uncle Tito, who's yeah. just like constantly <laughs> – giving the kids like lessons on, well, this is how books act and this is how we relate to books. I think it was funny that they kept bringing up like he he knows a lot about very little or very little about a lot. And that was that was funny. But yeah, whereas I, I have to keep comparing this to Inkart because I, you just can't help it. They're so they're similar in so many ways. But Inkart was very much about the relationship between author and reader and book and characters. And it was like everything was part of the living organism. Mm-hmm. And then, yeah, this was very much more more so about how books and readers relate to one another. Um, I loved the passages about finding books and how a book finds you because I often like use that phrasing um, and have had those experiences where it does feel like a book finds you at the right time. But to have it in this these like really specific magical terms kind of makes you realize how it is really magical <laughs> um, and kind of, I don't know, it made me appreciate those experiences a little bit more. Yeah, I, I agree. I, another passage about reading that I marked um, is when he says, every book is like a mirror. It reflects what you think. 
It is not the same if it is read by a hero than if it is read by a villain. The great readers add something to books. They make them better, which is just so lovely. I It is. I really enjoyed that. <laughs> yeah, I agree. Yeah, it's just, it is a really, it's, it's a sweet story. Like even the moments where that should have been harrowing, mm-hmm. like where they are getting rid of that bad book and <laughs> um, it all just, you know, it all just was like such a light, comforting touch. It's, it was all kind of cozy to me. Um, I, there were some interesting passages I thought as well about um, like burning books mm-hmm. and like the danger, like you can't get rid of a book, even if a book is evil, because that's a slippery slope. Mm-hmm. Um, so like wanted thought about burning this book that was affecting people really negatively and making um, his crush sick and affecting the other books and scaring the wild book. And he thought like burning it would, would be good. But um, then he learns that that is dangerous. Um, and so I thought that there was some really interesting kind of lightly political commentary on the importance of books and keeping even quote dangerous books in circulation um, just because all books need the freedom to be read. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that the worst thing that a book can do is like harm another book. Like that's what the, but, and like you said, even those have to remain, but that's what he really means with those, um, malignant. I think that's what he <laughs> called them books. Yeah. That sounds about right. <laughs> well, what, um, we, we talked about how this is in conversation, of course, with Inkart, definitely with Mrs. Basil E. Frankweiler. Since this is our final episode for our children's literature semester, did this book call to mind anything else that we've read this year? In a lot of the books that we've read over the last season, we've seen this theme of like parents or adults keeping secrets from children, thinking that they're protecting them but only making the kids' anxieties worse. And I saw that in the Wild Book as well, where you know Juan knows something is wrong. His mother isn't communicating with him enough. He isn't getting all the information that he needs. He feels like people are keeping secrets from him. Uncle Tito isn't telling him everything he wants in the order that he wants it in. And we just kind of see that uh, like tension between what do you tell kids? What do you keep from them to protect them? Are you actually protecting them? Um, I I saw that theme in here a lot as well. And I just thought that was really, really interesting that across cultures, across time periods, we're seeing this concern where kids are so much more aware of their world and so much more aware of the adults than we think they are. It's beautifully said. I honestly don't know if I have much to add to that. I just think it's it makes a lot of sense that authors who write books for children really respect children and mm. really, you know, honor their intelligence, their emotional intelligence, their awareness of the world. And it's really been lovely to see that reflected in in these books. Um, as we're raising readers, as we're thinking about what kind of parents we want to be, it's, I just have so much 
respect for these authors who have so much respect for their audiences of children. And I, you know, I, I don't know how much more middle grade or kid lit I'm going to be integrating into my reading life until, um, until it is time to read those books with, with Louise. But I do really feel like it added a lot of value to my both reading life and life as a mom. And so it just, it's so cool to end with two books really with both Inkart and this that reflect the importance of books in kids' life. I love that. I think that's a good spot to end. Okay. Except I want to read one quote that I love from (laughs) this book, which has nothing to do with what we've talked about. But it made me stop and laugh out loud when Uncle Tito says to Juan, you're good and simple and you like salami. (laughs) It's just like, what is this book? I love it so much. (laughs) Uncle Tito is a weirdo. (laughs) And Louise is really in a salami phase right now. So I just feel like I want to tell her next time we have lunch, you are good. And simple, and you like salami. <laughs> what an empowering uh, phrase. <laughs> I love it, Sarah. We'll put it on a t-shirt. Yes. <laughs> All right. What have you chosen to pair with this book? I'm so excited to hear your pairings. I I, I struggled a little bit with this, and then I saw your picks, and I was like, God, Chelsea's so good at this. It made me mad. Um, <laughs> you're you're going to explain these, and I'm going to think the same thing, especially that third one on your list. I was like, oh, man, I wish I thought of that. Okay. Well, yeah, I think I'm, I might just talk about two. I'll throw out maybe one because I well, – anyway, we'll, we'll see what we have time for. Um, Louise, please stay, please stay asleep. Um, so – my first one is Pet by Akwege Amezi. And I just love Akwege Amezi's writing. They're so, so strong and um, their books are so inventive and emotional. And it sounds like, like Juan Viaro, Akwege Amezi writes for kids, for adults romance, yeah. literary fiction, and pet is their, I would say, young adult um, novel. I, I I believe it's the beginning of, if not a series, at least a duology. Oh yeah, the reading age here is 12 to 17. So um, more that YA than middle grade. But this is a, a book about a girl named Jam. And Jam's family are artists, and especially her mother is is an artist who has kind of stopped painting, and we don't really know why. And Jam kind of surreptitiously enters her mother's studio and happens to unleash an art creature named Pet. And then this leads to her best friend, whose name is Redemption, which is awesome, (laughs) uh, going missing. Um, And it's it's pretty eerie, like not scary, but like 
it's dark. I think this is a dark kind of fantastical story. And I don't want to, I don't want to give any spoilers or even allusions to what I think Amezi is doing here because it's so smartly done and revealed that this is sort of an allegory, not, not a perfect direct allegory, like still an allegory with a lot of world building and substance and just a great plot in its own right. But they're commenting on some really fascinating things, including I think the power of art, which is the connection really to the wild book. Um, but it is very much that coming of age story. Um, I like the pairing for that little bit of otherworldliness, but it's still very much a coming of age story. Um, and quite frankly, this is just one of the best YA books that I feel like I've read recently. And I want to close out the season (laughs) by recommending it and making sure more people pick it up. I have not read the second book, but I do want to, I believe it's a prequel. Um, and if you read pet, you will be like, yes, bring on the prequel. (laughs) Um, (laughs) because there's just so much alluded to that you'll want to know, know more about. So that is pet by Aquake Amezi. I love it. I haven't read that one yet. Oh, I think you'll really like it. I think I would. Maybe I'll listen to it this summer. Yeah. It's, it's weird, but in a really good way. All right. My first pairing is The Shadow of the Wind by Carlos Ruiz Zafon. And I almost didn't pair this because I just feel like if readers love books about books, this one's on every books about books list. So I still haven't read it. <laughs> I you? honestly, I can't even remember. I think it might be one of those books that I've seen so many places and have like read the description so many times that I feel like I've read it, but I wonder if I picked it up, if I would be like, oh, maybe I only made it halfway through. So it probably means I haven't read it, or at least I've, I haven't read past the first few chapters, but it's just one of those books that's like, it's always there. I it's know. Always there. I know. And I feel like I'm going to love it, but I just, I don't, yeah. I don't. Anyways, tell us what it's about. <laughs> All right. Well, it is set in 1945, post-World War II, Barcelona. Um, The author is Spanish, and this is a work in translation. He lives in Barcelona, Spain. And it's just about, like, the city is healing after the war, and Daniel is the main character. He is the son of an antiquarian book dealer, and he recently lost his mother, so he is grieving. And like many of us, um, finds solace in a book. And it's a mysterious book. It's titled The Shadow of the Wind, much like the wild book is the title of the book within a book. And it is written by Julian Carax. But Daniel wants to go and find more works by this author. And he discovers that someone has been destroying every book that this author has ever written. And he might actually be in possession of the last copy of The Shadow of the Wind. And so he goes on this quest um, to figure out what's happening with these books. And it this book gets a lot more involved than just that. There is like murder and love, and it's it's like an epic journey. And it's a pretty, it's a pretty long book. It's like almost 500 pages. So um, I just thought that this paired nicely with the wild book, 
given the themes. It's a work in translation. Um, and that thought that in the wild book is presented that it could get really scary if someone starts destroying books and starts getting rid of books or you can't find the book that you want. So if you have read The Shadow of the Wind, you might want to pick up The Wild Book. And if you liked The Wild Book and you've always been meaning to read The Shadow of the Wind and haven't, like us, even if you feel like you've read it because you've seen it everywhere, um, now might be the time. So The Shadow of the Wind pairs nicely with The Wild Book. All right. Well, maybe this will be my sign to finally pick it up. (laughs) Maybe. So I think part of why I haven't picked it up is it's got really mixed reviews. Like people who love it, love it. Mm -hmm. And then other people are like, this is kind of hard to get through. So I'd be curious to know. Yeah. Well, listeners tell us, which. (laughs) Yeah. I'm sure we have listeners who are on either side of that spectrum. Yeah, and maybe they maybe you all know our our tastes well enough now to tell us if you think we would enjoy it. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Um my next one is Our Missing Hearts by Celeste Ng, and I have to admit that I put this in the outline when I was like super early in the book and like his he had gotten a letter like from I now I even forget if it was his mother or his father and I was like oh he's gonna go on a quest to find that doesn't happen so (laughs) so originally I put it in for one reason but I still feel like it um it just pairs really really nicely so this book our our missing hearts begins with the story of bird gardener and he lives with his his father. Bird is uh, biracial. His mother, Margaret, was Chinese-American. His father is white. And uh, several years ago, his mother left. And he doesn't know why, but he knows that his father tells him that you're not allowed to talk about her, that she's gone forever. And it's just, it's it's this really sad tone to to start. And then he gets this note and um it's a little it's a puzzle and he really begins to think that this could only have been sent by by his mother and so he wants to find out what what really what really happened um and it's it's a quest story um at least for the first part it's a really lovely quest and the themes of the importance of and power of words and poetry and books and how words and poetry and books can take on lives of their own and the way readers change those words. I mean, it would be a spoiler to tell you how this book is about those things, but it's a completely different story than the wild book. There's not magic. It's slightly dystopian, but it takes place in like a very near future that is easy to um, graft our own present onto, for sure. Um, But so many of the same themes. I also like the portrayal of tween boys in both of these books. Just really gentle, uh, kind 12 and 13-year-old boys. And I, 
I like to see that. I like to see that in in books because I don't think that's always the uh, common portrayal of tween boys. Um, and so, yeah, I, I really enjoyed this book. I know some readers thought it was a little bit too on the nose. I don't mind my speculative dystopian books to be on the nose. I, I think that that kind of is the point. But if you don't like that, um, this one might not be for you, but um, maybe read it. And instead of thinking so much about the political messaging, which is super important and I think very easy to pick up from, from her book, think read it with that lens of readers and authors and language and what she's saying there. And I, I think a lot of our listeners would really love that commentary. So that's Our Missing Hearts by Celeste Ng. All right. My last pairing is The Sentence by Louise Erdrich. This is a tough book to describe um, in that it doesn't really have a linear plot either. Um, Like the Wild book, it is a little bit more just like about this character who is going through life. Um, and books and reading and the commentary on books and reading make up a huge part of this book, but there are also other things going on. So um, one fun thing about this book is it takes place at Erdrich's um, independent bookstore in <laughs> Minneapolis, Minnesota. Um, but what happens is the store's most annoying customer dies and her ghost is haunting the store. So the main character, Tuki, um, who is a bookseller after having um, kind of a sordid past, um, she is disturbed by this haunting and she feels like it is her job to figure out why Flora, the annoying customer, is haunting the bookstore. Um, but at the same time, there's all of this stuff going on in her own family and in the city of Minneapolis at large. Um, this takes place from 2019 through 2020. So um, a significant event in this book is the murder of George Floyd and the subsequent protests. It's a little bit of a mystery, a little bit of a ghost story, a little bit of a family story, a little bit of cultural commentary, and a lot of book recommendations and discussions of reading and the power of books and literature and the role of a bookseller in the community. And I really loved this book. And I think tonally, including the magical realism elements, it fits the wild book really nicely. Um, I just really love Louise Erdrich's writing. So The Sentence by Louise Erdrich, although much darker, very much not for kids, I think makes an interesting pairing with the wild book. Such a smart pairing. I love The Sentence and I think that works so, so well. All right, Chelsea. Well, that's the end of our discussion of the wild book and the conclusion of our semester on classic children's literature. It has been such a treat to explore these books with you and with all of our, our listeners and especially with our wonderful Patreon community. Um, we would love to see you at our live online events this summer. We are going to be doing some really exciting things 
in Patreon. As you mentioned, Chelsea, we're reading the Odyssey. We will have some great uh, main feed episodes about the Odyssey and classic literature and the structure of uh, the Odyssey, how we see it reflected in today's literature for the main feed. But we're going to be doing a ton with the Odyssey on Patreon, including for our literature scholars, um, weekly recaps of the reading segments that we're doing with the two of us. So it will be your own little version of Spark Notes. We'll be having two book club meetings, one in June, one in July, a class in June, a class in July. We would love to see you there. So you can find us at patreon.com slash novel pairings. Um, come join our group of, of nerdy readers. And if you love it, annual subscriptions are now available at a discounted price. And we have to say, we really think that you get your money's worth over there. Definitely. So we have a bunch of information in Patreon about our summer plans, including a little read-along calendar bookmark and things like that. But if you would like to see everything laid out for you and see what's happening before you go and sign up, you can go to our newsletter, novelpairings.substack.com and subscribe there. That's where we share a lot of announcements and details about our Patreon community and what's happening on the main feed. So that's a great place for you to go to get more information. And of course, we would love for you to follow us at novelpairingspod on Instagram. That's another place where you can um, send us a DM, tag us in stories, share what you're reading and loving from the podcast lately, and um, we would love to connect with you in any of those places. We also got, Sarah, we got like four new reviews for the show, and it was so lovely to read those. We're so grateful for those fresh words. It seriously makes a big difference in the podcast algorithm, um, particularly for Apple. So um, if you want to give our show a little boost and it's just like a totally free, really nice thing to do for us, go ahead and rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts. It helps us find more listeners. It helps us stay up at the top of the bookish charts. So thank you so much for those new reviews. It was really sweet to read those. Thank you to Miles Eichner and Mark Anderson for our theme music. We declare, after all, there is no enjoyment like reading. How much sooner one tires of anything than of a book.